Coming up next, the bookening reads The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Everybody, welcome to the bookening. Yes, it's the bookening. You, you knew that it was. You took, you clicked on it, or maybe you've let bookings accumulate in your podcast feed, and this one finally came up, and you didn't know what it was, and you don't recognize our theme music. Yeah, I thought I was listening to cereal. Yes, sir. We're doing the Chronicles of Narnia. They're right up there with the Chronicles of Riddick. Uh, what other chronicles are there? Chronicles. Oh, you got Narnia. You got your Riddick. First and second chronicles. First and Second Chronicles. <laughs> You've got that's that's my favorite. You've got Chronicle, that movie by uh, Max Landis movie where, where the with the superhero. It's a superhero movie, but it's shot like a documentary. That one that's called Chronicle, isn't it? Are the new listeners gone? Okay, we can talk about Narnia. Voyage. <laughs> <laughs> we only want the old listeners. <laughs> we only want old listeners. If you haven't heard of us and haven't listened to us by now, we don't want you. Right. If you weren't there for me and Brandon talking about poetry for four interminable episodes or whatever, then we do do not want you to listen to us talk about Narnia. Yeah. So stop this and go listen to something else. Yeah. You don't get to start with Narnia. These episodes aren't an entry point for you. All right. Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Mm -hmm. The next in the series of Narnia books. First, you've got your... Lion, your witch, your wardrobe. Yep. Then you've got that. your Caspian. He's a prince. Then you got the voyage of the Dawn Treader. Any context specific to this book, Brandon? Who for me? Yeah. Some of the interesting parts of this one. Some. This is where you see a lot of the Norse mythology influences. So when Eustace turns into a dragon, mm-hmm. that's ripping off pretty what pretty famous dragon story. Yeah, Fafnir. Fafnir. I know it started with an F. Yeah, from Norse mythology. Does he turn into a dragon? He turns into a dragon. Yeah. And so that's uh, like one of the top dragon stories of all time, right? Yeah. That's like that's like one of the bedrocks of dragon he would, mythology. He wouldn't be seeing himself as ripping it off. He would just, I mean, in, only he was, just, in, he was playing in their sandbox. Only insofar as he's ripping off the gospel by writing these. I mean, mm. he's just echoing these things. Right. He's supposedling. That's what he's doing. And so, Sounds in like a book Dr. that Seuss I would argue thing. has probably more if not the most, definitely more of the grayness, the northness that he talks about in Surprised by Joy. You would book, argue something you, like that. Well, I mean, you end up seeing the North. You, you know who else is gray is Brandon. He's wearing a gray shirt. I am wearing a gray shirt. Nathan, have you even introduced us? No, I haven't actually. <laughs> but don't do it. Don't do it yet. Let's do this Yeah, let's do first. the context first. Yeah. I'm getting married next week, folks. This is my last booking. By the time you hear this, I'll be married, Lord willing. He can do whatever he wants. But I'm getting married this is the last one I'm recording before I get married. So that's fun, isn't it? The, yeah. To the incandescent Meredith. She'll become the, in, well, she'll still be the incandescent Meredith, but she'll be the incandescent Meredith Alberson instead of whatever else she was. Will her luminescence be dimmed, Brennan? Well, critics, when it, this book first came out, yes. they didn't think this quite lived up to the high levels set by previous Narnia adventures. That's critics for you. Those are critics for you, yeah. Though they did love Reepicheep, that talking mouse. But one of the, well, I guess I should... Can you guys guess which planet this is? 
Is this Venus? I think it might be Venus. Probably, because you got the star, the star yeah. lady that what's his face marries. And I, it's, I don't know. Is this my guess? Actually, based on that hideous or not that hideous strength, Paralandra. Yeah. Oh. Paralandra Venus. Yeah, and this stuff. It says this feels pretty Paralandra. It's got a lot of temptation and stuff in this book. Lots of temptation and lots of lots of, of vitality. Oh, and and yeah. Fruit. This is the sun. Oh well, of course it is because okay, the, they're journeying to the sun. And the flowers get get or the the flowers. qualities are wisdom, liberality, generosity, flowers. freedom, riches, enlightenment, and opposition to greed. And almost everyone in this book is tempted by greed at some point. True enough. There you go. And so there we have it. The more we hear about this theory, the more credible it seems. I like this theory. It's, well, it's not a bad theory. You know, it's sort of like astrology. Yeah. I mean, it is astrology for one. But for two, like, the more you read your horoscope, the more it sounds like they just get you, man. Yeah. Well, and also... My horoscope gets me. The idea is that Lewis loved medieval cosmology so much. I'm a... What am I? Oh, no. I'm a... Gemini, probably. I'm a Taurus. Yeah, you're a Taurus. No, uh... (laughs) I'm a Scorpio. I actually have a cool zodiac sign. I never have a cool anything. The the year of China that I was born, I'm like a stupid spider monkey or I'm something. A rat. Yeah. I'm a rat. Yeah, yeah, a rat is actually cool. I'm a. I think I'm a bull or something. I don't know. Rat's not cool. Yeah, it is. Cool. Rats are shifty and clever and cool. His hero. Mm-hmm. Is when people see rats, they're always happy. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Nathan Nathan loves Templeton. That's why I always dress like. If Reap a cheap were a rap, I'd be a rat. I'd be okay. All right, I think the new listeners are actually gone now. (laughs) Okay, so we can introduce ourselves. I'm Nathan Alverson, your (laughs) humble and obedient host. This is Jake Menzel. He's the I'm doing it out of order. This is Jake Menzel. He's a pastor who's a master of reading. How you doing, Jake? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing uh, fantastic. Getting married. Four flies today. You have carried. I've seen you kill two of them. Uh, Brandon Chastine. I've killed no flies. You've killed zero flies. You're wearing a gray shirt. I'm a pacifist. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Brandon, you were just giving us some I was. context. We on were talking work. about the planets. Yes, the planets. Soul. Yeah. The sun. Sun, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Lewis, he was big into medieval cosmology. Mm-hmm. And so... <laughs> who isn't? Uh, who isn't, yeah. And so these things, even though he didn't believe, he wasn't like Yates that actually believed in astrology. Mm-hmm. But still these things were... Know? Sure he wasn't. Well, at least he claimed he wasn't. Right, but okay. he wanted to. Yeah, but at least these things were such a part of his imagination that... While Michael Ward's book is really interesting in so far as it's fun that somebody pointed this out, it's not that surprising that a man who would also write about fawns and white witches and, you know, the East, mm-hmm. like Lewis did, would also then have the planets kind of in the background as part of his way he thought of his books. Sure. In fairness to Nathan and I, we're not accustomed to thinking of the sun as a planet. Neither am I, to be honest. Oh, good. <laughs> but you're the one that made us guess. Oh. <laughs> Mm. Well, and your guess was Venus. So in fairness to all of us, you weren't actually guessing this. Oh, and I made you guys guess because I had to have time to remember. <laughs> right. Because ah. I had forgotten that this was the sun. Well, they do uh, bring sun sunberries. There's sunberries in this there thing. Are there yeah. are sunberries. And they make Mr. Star, Ra- Ramadan, younger. get younger. Which the bird brought something that looked like a coal to put on his tongue. Mm-hmm. There's mm. no biblical illusion going on there. We'll get to it, Brandon. Right. Is there any more context? Uh, yeah, there is. There's one fun part All right. of context here that we oh, should talk oh, about. Oh. Um, fun part. So when Lewis originally published this book in America, he made some changes. Mm-hmm. Some people don't know if it was because he thought the American audience wanted it to be, to be different or if he actually... I thought these were good changes. So one of the minor changes is early in the book, he says that Eustace is far too stupid to make up anything himself. Mm-hmm. In this American edition, he says, instead... He's quite incapable of making anything of himself. 
Which I think is a decent change. I like that change. Because yeah, Eustace yep. isn't stupid, at least insofar as we get to know him later. Yeah, I mean, after his he, redemption. He's just foolish. He's just, There's a difference. Yeah. And he becomes a key figure in other books, right? Yeah, Eustace is really... Yeah. He's kind of cool. How many starring books does he have? He's the he's the guy. He's the dude in Last Battle, right? Yeah, if I'm remembering correctly. Silver Chair and Last Battle. Those so the Eustace guys. gets three. Uh, besides Lucy and Edmund, he gets the most of anybody. I mean, Lucy, yeah. he's Eustace, right up there. Yeah, he's right up there. He's. I mean, Peter and Susan are in. That's true. They do show Horseman's up. Horseman's boy, yeah. And they do show up in the last battle too. But yeah. yeah. But Eustace to me feels like one of the main protagonists of this series. I'd I'd put him right up there. No, he definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. So the other significant change that he made was after they leave the Dark Island, mm-hmm. there's a long analogy he puts in there about what it feels like to wake up from a dream. Mm-hmm. That's in there. But all but the bigger change is the island doesn't disappear. Oh, Aslan, and Aslan doesn't destroy the island. In my edition, the island does disappear. And they're yeah. like- The uh, one that I just- and So here's the edition I we have. Aslan got rid of it. Yeah. Can we read the part? Yes, please. So it's never to bring me back there, he said. This is Lord Roop talking. He pointed to Stern. They all looked, but they saw only bright blue sea in bright blue sky, the dark island and the darkness had vanished forever. Why, cried Lord Roop, you have destroyed it. I don't think it was us, said Lucy. And here's the change. He's, he wrote, never to ask me nor to let any other ask me what I have seen during my years on the dark island. An easy boon, my lord, answered Caspian, and added with a shudder, ask you. I should think not. I should give all my treasure not to hear it. And then after their sailing away, you have so all afternoon with great joy they sailed southeast. This is our edition that we read. Right. With a fair wind, but nobody noticed when the albatross had disappeared. So that's the original published Yeah, and edition. so here's the change. So all afternoon, with great joy, they sailed southeast with a fair wind, and the hump of darkness grew smaller and smaller astern, but nobody noticed when the albatross had disappeared. And so the Dark Island doesn't disappear, but it's still a part of the Narnia map. Somewhere you could go if you accidentally find yourself in Narnia. Yeah, that's much more creepy and cool, I think. Yeah. Okay, I was... It's a- positive change i was really disappointed when, actually when authors come back and meddle with books like that it's almost always bad but that i think you're allowed to do it if you're lewis or tolkien because they both did it to positive effect because wasn't the, the riddles in the dark was originally Gollum gives him the ring or something like that in the first edition of the hobbit right was it I, did, I didn't know that yeah i think i think tolkien had to like retcon the crap out of that of the hobbit in order to make it actually match to the i don't think he was thinking ahead and then he makes jokes about different oh bilbo stories told the story always told the story yeah and I think that's Bilbo because having you know different editions of it. Yes, I think that's because Tolkien. In fact, in, in the original, I think isn't that clever? Yeah, yeah, Tolkien was a clever guy, unlike yeah. certain other fantasy authors we could mention. George R. R. Martin, Tor Terry Pratchett. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, not Anne Rice. Anne Rice. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, did you know she's being anthologized now with great American literature. I did because I've been to Barnes and Nobles in the last five or six years, and they always have. You've got your Mark Twain anthology, and you've got your Jane Austen, and then you'll have your Anne Rice, the Vampire Chron. Or is that, are those Chronicles? I think they might be. Oh, this is Who exciting. Who cares? The Vampire Diaries Chronic. Yep, that's another. That's another series of Chronicles. <sighs> oh my goodness, Nathan, put a stake through my heart. Sure. Okay. <laughs> what, what kind do you want? Like a ribeye? T bone. T bone. Okay. What were we talking about? Uh, uh, oh, uh, so in Barnes and Noble. Yeah. I was looking through the poetry section. Oh no. When Barnes & Noble was still here. It's mm. gone now. Maybe this yeah. is why. Yes. <laughs> they had a published book of a Instagram poet. hmm And they were just really bad. But this is kind of, yeah. Oh, was it Rupi Carr? Maybe. The Indian woman? I don't know. There's this poet that got famous on Instagram called Rupi Carr, and she writes this really, oh, it drives me nuts. It's yeah. all this empowerment female stuff. You cannot 
shame my body kind of stuff. And it's just like she took some boilerplate feminist stuff and chopped it up a little bit so that it, the sentences were kind of looked like poetry. And now she's famous. And, and if popular. it looks like poetry, it must be poetry. Yeah. A super positive change that C.S. Lewis made right up there with Tolkien uh, changing riddles in the dark. Yeah. I, it was one of the only things. It really stuck out to me. I thought it stuck I, out I, to I, me. I it was one of the only things that stuck out to me as being just like a bad decision. I was just, oh, that's lame. Aslan yep. just like fixed it. Like, like Aslan yeah, that just, was a disappointing yeah. move. Yeah, I, 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 I took yeah. note of that. You know those old maps where you'd have the wind blowing from yeah. the corners. I kind of imagined Aslan's face appearing on the map and just kind of blowing the darkness away. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any more context we need to know about old voyage of the? No, we know it's BG. Sol, the planet, the famous planet, the sun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of think the sun might be a star and not a planet right but you know those medieval cosmologists or whatever they were mm-hmm. cosmonauts cosmonauts knew more than we did i guess i mean i didn't even know that stars could retire mm. they can apparently and then they eat sunberries we're kinds of people that only know what stars are made of not what yeah. they are yeah i thought they were made of Ball, giant balls of gas giant burning balls of burning billions maybe one of my of first away. observations about this book Jake, is with you everything's gas <laughs> what sorry that's firefly they cut up in Did the they preserve that line? line in the movie? They didn't keep Pumbaa's line, but they, or no, they kept Pumbaa's line. They didn't keep Timon's line. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's right. But, but overall, Timon and Pumbaa's humor was one of the successful things about that movie, actually. Yeah. Hmm. Agree. There okay. you go. Uh, yes, Brandon. <sighs> what was I saying? saying? Something about Voyage of the DT. Oh, yeah. The uh, cutesy C.S. Lewis platitudes that come out sometimes in his theology books. Mm-hmm. They don't quite work so well in this. Is this this is context that we need to understand? No. You you are throwing down an opinion gauntlet I'm throwing down a a gauntlet, yeah, an an opinion gauntlet. So you have the things like when he's writing Mere Christianity or... So we're discussing this book now, Brandon. I guess we are. Is that fine, Nathan? Yeah, no. Brandon's kind of taking over your job. Sorry, Nathan. If you want to host, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well... I usually move along. I usually decide what time, you know, when well, we Well, Nathan, are we ready? No, no, no. You tell it's, us. It's fine, Brandon. It's fine. You obviously have something that's important to say. No, it's not actually that important. Mm, it's not like I'm getting married or... Yeah, okay, Nathan. We'll have you anything I want to talk mind. about that? <laughs> no, 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 no. Brandon, I want to hear your thought. Let's, let's, all right. Let's talk about the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. You were about to throw down an opinion gauntlet. Go for it. I liked this book in general. I liked the story. I thought mm-hmm. it was fun. The voyage was fun. But in this story, I think the issues that Tolkien has with the the Narnia world are on display more intensely than they have been. The issues that Tolkien has being he hates allegory, he hates allegory. He doesn't like the allegory. I mean, his big issue was the mixing of the different fantasy worlds, Mm -hmm. no consistency. You'd have Father Brown appearing out of nowhere. He stole from Chesterton. He took Father Brown and had him solve yeah. a case. Father Brown. <laughs> yeah, Aslan was dead. Sorry, we need Father, to figure out who done it. Father Christmas, man, my brain is not working tonight. Today, I'm tired. And then Lucy and the Beavers yeah. saw the Sherlock Holmes Father Brown. appears too. Bucket. Yeah. It's like Ready Player appear. One. Yeah. <laughs> Just a, Jack Nicholson from The Shining is in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Father Christmas. Father Christmas. Yes. yes. <laughs> But then he gives these... Uh, Brendan made a mistake and we punished him for it. Thank you. That's what people like to listen to this podcast yeah. for. Or they'll just complain about it on Apple. He said Father Brown when he met Father Christmas one star. Yeah, he's what stu- an idiot. He's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's things like this that bother me. Well, that bothers me. But it's, so when they drink the water for the first time, Caspian says, yes, it is sweet. That's real water that I'm not sure that it isn't going to kill me. But it is the death I would have chosen. 
if I'd known about it till now. What's so bad about that? Yeah, but Brandon, what is so bad about that? Well, what's good about it, Jake? I'll turn it on you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're the one that decided it's bad. It, Innocent until proof proven guilty. It's bad is on you. Innocent until right. proven guilty. Well, Remember what our trial episodes work? Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What seems what's what strikes me as bad about this, and it's more a gut reaction than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is this has overtones of the sort of silly plat- neoplatonism that's yeah. all over the Great Divorce. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so it's the and it, then it has other undercurrents of that. A longing that's a wanting, a wanting that's a having, all that stuff. And it's like, this water is so good that, what does he say? I would have died because of this water mm-hmm. if I had known about it until no, now. No, 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 no. It's something new he's never experienced before. And he says, this is the kind of, this, it's really good, it, but it feels almost like it might kill me. But I guess that's the kind of death I would have chosen. It's, it's, he's speaking metaphorically, man. He is speaking metaphorically, but with Lewis, you get the sense that what he tries to do with his metaphor is- You never is, said I'd, I'd kill for steak right well, now. Well, he's not. He's not. That's the problem here, is he's not right, speaking right, He's not right. speaking entire, entirely metaphorically. No. So what, and what happens in the great You're divorce right. is you have the raindrops that might, that hurt mm-hmm. and the grass that hurts, right? And because it is a sort of, heaven's like a platonic ideal. Right. And so we're shades. And if you get into heaven, you have to be made real. And you see that happening here with the water suddenly makes them have eagle eyesight to the point where they feel like they're getting more real as they approach the wall, the seawall, right? Yep. And so then you get tastes of it here with that, like, it's a death I would have chosen if I'd known about it till now. And Lewis just really likes to do this thing, like, the world is this one way, but if you flip it on its other side, it actually has this sweet, intense beauty to it that Mm -hmm. we just didn't know was there. Maybe I'm just a grump that that bothers me. But there seems to be something a little bit well, I think we've talked about this. Right. What's wrong with it? So. Well, okay. So my argument is you're stupid. Okay. And I disagree. Mine is that you're a grump. Yeah. Actually. And, and fat. you need to lighten up. <laughs> okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> it's but, just right. a book. All right. That's <laughs> yeah, just a book, man. All right. <laughs> Fine. No, no, no. I'm backing off, guys. <laughs> Brendan, you're neither stupid nor fat nor, well, well you, are, you can be a little grumpy, but so can, can we all. can be a little fat. <laughs> Our, this podcast is three grumpy people. Actually, listen. I'm not grumpy. What are you talking about? I'm so it's never Jake. Grumpy. Jake's yeah. a paragon of what's the joy. opposite of grumpiness? Of joy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> joyful Jake. That's what we call him. <laughs> hey, that hurts. <laughs> I just said we call yeah, him joyful Jake, he, and I would yeah, say you, you meant it too. Oh, no, I listen, here's my argument. Yeah, I think you're right. I think suicide. I think suicide has an interest in this Lewis stuff. I think Lewis has a creepy, as we've talked about with till we have faces, all this stuff. Lewis has a creepy. And yes, the word that occurred to me actually was suicidal. Interest in the mysteries of the unknown. Yeah. He really likes that stuff. He really digs that stuff. I think this is actually the best version of it he's done. I do too. I think that he takes it way too far and the metaphor is way too on the nose in a lot of things so that it is inescapable what he's talking about. And you're like, okay, this theology of heaven that you are clearly presenting as a theology of heaven in the great divorce is just wicked or bad or wrong. I think till we have faces, obviously the, the, the big offender in this category where yes. you, you just want to make it all about this transcendent longing. But I think that his, his essay weight of glory is basically pretty good with some caveats. I think there is a transcendent longing that we do have. I think we are intrigued by the mysteries of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And that is part of our desire to worship God and to contemplate this being and this reality and this eternity that's much bigger than us. And I think this book actually gets that, pretty right i think I, there, I there, there's, there's just enough detail that 
you get that sense without really without Lewis coming up and nudging you and saying this is what heaven's like. No, it's just like this is a general sense of what it's like to cross over the River Jordan and and a way of kind of thinking about these transcendent realities. But it doesn't get so close to them that I feel like it's violating real mysteries. We're talking about a world now. First of all, that's flat. Mm-hmm. And you mean Narnia is flat? Uh, Narnia is a country in this well, world. You know Jake's a flat earther, right? He was actually talking <laughs> yeah. about our Earth. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we're talking about a world that's flat. So much. So much. Yes, Lewis lives in it. Lived in it. He wrote some books. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I guess here's what I'm trying to say. I, th- I think. I think he actually achieves real fantasy in this book in yeah. a way that feels like it touches on some of those themes. Yeah. I'm not going to argue that it doesn't. I'm not going to argue that there's not something disturbing at this at, at the core of it, but. He actually makes a credible fantasy world in this one. It doesn't just feel like allegory that's saying, this is what life's like. This is how you need to understand transcendence. This is how you need to understand God. No, it's just him using fantasy tropes to tell a fantasy story that actually feels kind of lived in and real in a way that none of the first two Narnia books Which is what The Great Divorce does wrong, is it tries to say... But it's just a straight up... This is hell, this is heaven. Yeah, this is hell, this is heaven. This is not... Yeah. That's not this. Great Divorce this is simply C.S. Lewis writing a, a theology of hell and heaven and thinly disguising it as a narrative. Right. This is this not is, that. This, this is, is a... This is a... This is a quest. Yeah. I mean, you 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 jumped right to the very, very, like, end... Yeah. ...of a great big quest book that is full of adventures in all sorts of weird and random places and... That has a an end that feel you know it's getting brighter and transcendent, but you know that it comes to an end and it's over. And well, this is what I'll say: it's easy to write about hell. It's easy to write about sin. It's easy. It's easy to imagine what the greater realities of darkness are. You know, the nightmare place. Like that's a good conceit mm-hmm. that's powerful in the book, and nobody minds that. But it's always hard to imagine something better. You know, Milton, Paradise Lost, is a great poem. Because it's from Satan's point of view, but then yeah. he tried to do Paragi- Paradise Regained, and it and the weakest parts of that book are in heaven. Yeah, exactly. Everybody loves Dante's Inferno. Nobody cares about Paradiso, Paradiso. No, nobody um, does. Because except weirdos. Except weirdos. Because it's much easier to imagine hell than it is to imagine heaven. And so C.S. Lewis dares to imagine some of these realities and to come up with fantasy conceits. And I don't. I'm not going to say he's not. I'm not going to say he's 100% successful all the time. I'm not going to say there's not some disturbing Lewis stuff of the type that we've talked about somewhere in there. Yeah. But I just think this book actually is the most successful vessel for that kind of stuff because it does, as Jake says, just feels like a lived in fantasy story that works by itself and doesn't, isn't constantly. I was glad he did not take us over the wave with Reefa Cheap. Yeah. Yeah, To me, it feels like he knows where to stop. I think that that's a big part of it is that they just stop. Yeah. They stop at the wave. They can kind of see through the wave. Yeah. Some, and they can kind of see through the sun, which is weird. But that's part of the what I think is cool about it. Like, and they see those mountains, they and they leave. get that. They hear that music, and they feel the the scent of heaven, basically. And it's like this longing that's a having. It's a longing that they have. It'll but, break your heart. Sad, no. But to me, that rings true. Like, we all have glimpses. Not all of us have transcendent visions. Most of us don't. But we all have moments where God makes himself more clear to us, and we catch a little metaphorical scent of heaven. I mean, I don't think I'm being crazy. Metaphorical scent of heaven. I I don't know. I'm not trying to be too literal about this. Mm -hmm. But I just think... It's a feeling. Sometimes we we get these feelings, and... I'm, I'm on board with that. I'm... 
I think that God gave us feeling, he gave us emotion, just like he gave us reason. We could try to parse the various ways they should interplay with one another all Mm -hmm. day, but we're not philosophers. Right. Maybe it's more than that these things seem a little heavy-handed at times in this book. Not enough to ruin it for me, but like two big offenders. One, when we're in the magic room and... Lucy does the in, the uninvisibility st- spell, and mm-hmm. Aslan is there. Yep. And then she asks, why are you here? And he says, well, I wouldn't break my own laws, would I? That or something weird. like that, right? And then the other one would be when they come to the end, and there's a lamb, and Aslan is talking to them as yep. a lamb, right? And when the albatross appears, I'll throw in a third one, the albatross appears, and it's a cross. I mean, so part of this just felt like he was, um, this was his way of getting his jab in at, at Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Right, without actually making it too explicit, because here's allegory. He's like, okay, you don't like the allegory, I'm going to give it to you. Right. It's not going to be hidden, but it's just going to be right out there in the open. Here's a cross. Jake, I think this might, was this off mic when you pointed out what she remembered about the story? Yeah, it would have been off mic. She remembers, you know, when she's reading through the magic book that you can only turn right in. Oh, Lucy remembers, yeah. She finishes it, and then she tries to go back, and she can't. And then she tries to remember and finds that she can't. And then she's trying to piece it together, and all she can remember is there's a cup, a sword, a tree, and a hill. Mm-hmm. The imagery is pretty Gethsemane, crucifixion-y, if you take those. So the argument we're dealing with now is that it's just kind of, as, as a literary d- devices, these things are kind of heavy-handed. They're both heavy-handed, and also I think they do show as wonderful, really, as the image of the lilies, the silver sea mm-hmm. is, as the seawall where you can see where the sun in front of the, the place that's behind it. Mm-hmm. As strange as that is, it seems that C.S. Lewis's softness when it comes to what he would allow himself to imagine, like some of this seems like just stuff he shouldn't, someone even shouldn't even try to imagine. Like one of the worst uh, additions to the, the Lord of the Rings movies is when they have Gandalf give his speech about what it's going to be like in the afterlife. Yes, yes, yes. That Tolkien was at least wise enough never to do in the Lord of the Rings. Although you that know? verbiage is from Tolkien. It's just the description of the, it's it's a paragraph from Tolkien about Grey Havens. the Grey Havens. Yeah, yeah, which is similar, right? I mean, they they, they literally see, cut, but, and cut and paste a, par- yeah. a description and put but it in the But you don't see the mouth. journey to the Grey Havens, right. all that, so... Some of some of what Lewis would allow himself to imagine, what he would allow himself to mix yes. with what he'd imagine, and some of the feelings that he would then borrow from his old love of paganism and stuff like that, that would then get mixed in with this. It, it makes me very wary of these sorts of portions of the book. Does this make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I just think I just think he actually drew the line and didn't quite cross it. I think he tiptoed right up and waved his foot over it and yeah. jeered his nose at the line and spit on the line. He did everything but actually step over the line in this case. I think usually when we've had real problems with Lewis is because he's just blatantly walked over that line. And I think in this case, he didn't. I, I think he had restraint. We don't see what Aslan's country is like. We don't cross over the wave with Riva Cheap. We mm-hmm. just get a sense of longing. I mean, that's really all we get is just we're getting stronger, yeah, I mean, we're getting brighter. You know, Caspian wanting to go, selfishly wanting to go, is a nice little echo of Peter. Peter wanting to they go up not long before the crucifixion. Oh, and okay. I was thinking Peter from- The uh, disciple Peter, yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I meant Peter. Yeah. He wants to set up a tabernacle, right? He wants to, mm-hmm. and Jesus is like, no, we got things to do. Mm-hmm. To, but I didn't find it across the line. And the Bible deals in these things. I mean- I mean, you've had, I think we've all had 
sort of mountaintop experiences of our own like that. Yeah. In worship or... Yeah, where you're just, I don't know how to describe it in terms that don't sound either cheesy or mystical, but where you're just entering into it in a way that... Is really transcendent. Is transcendent, yeah. Overwhelming. Well, and people have heard me tell this story if they keep up with Warhorn stuff a million times, but a big turning point in my life was reading Psalm 18, where it talks about God in the darkness, coming out of the darkness, coming down, destroying David's enemies. And just realizing that everything that I looked to in an H.P. Lovecraft story, everything that I wanted to read about transcendent monsters and beings and elementals, all my love of fantasy and horror and stuff was actually a longing that was having, you know, it was actually me wanting to worship something that was bigger and unknown and something that was outside of myself. And so I can't, I can't, I know Lewis abuses that kind of thing. But I can't entirely condemn it either. And I certainly yeah. can't condemn it when it's in the scriptures, when the prophets, you know, you read Ezekiel and it's just like a bunch of weird, crazy, outside of ourselves, transcendent stuff. You read Revelation, same thing. You read, I mean, it's there, right? There must be some usefulness for contemplating these kinds of things mm-hmm. and for contemplating them with emotion. And so should C.S. Lewis be messing with it? That's another question. I think there's a line there that you shouldn't cross. I think we've talked a lot about the places where he crossed it. And again, I just don't think he does in this one. Yeah, I can I can buy that he doesn't cross the line. I feel that the line is there and that what becomes problems in other books is here, like the scent of lilies. Right. But I was reminded of a lot of Christian books that I read as a kid growing up in a Christian home. We would order these fantasy books and they all tried to do the same thing that Lewis did. And they were much more ham-fisted than he was. And they'd have these God characters. There's all kinds of ways that you can go wrong with this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that Lewis should have done it. But given the fact that he did do it, I think The Voyage of the Don Treader is the most successful place that he did it. I don't feel the ham-fistedness of it either. I don't like Aslan appearing as a cross that turns into an album cross. I don't like some of that stuff. I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I certainly don't like You May Know Me There by Another Name. I think that's borderline blasphemous and yes. really cheesy. But yeah, I think the ending is, in general, pretty bad, where they see the lamb. Yeah, that's just lame. Yeah. I just, as, as an artistic endeavor, that's stupid. I, I don't like that. I agree with that. I actually thought Aslan was off in this one. Reading Aslan and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, coming back to him, I think I remembered Aslan as be, the way he is in Voyage of the Dawn Treader. That's kind of the Aslan that stuck with me over the years. But uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, Prince Caspian, it's like, oh, Aslan's kind of a dude. Like, he isn't always ethereal. Not every one of his sayings is a Yoda-like riddle. He's the king, right? And he shows yeah. up and he does king stuff and he disciplines people. Like he seemed much more straightforward and much less wrapped in enigma. In this one, he kind of crosses the line into just being the enigmatic. He was getting there with Prince Caspian. He was. And I don't, I think Lewis generally does that stuff okay. But yeah, I thought Aslan was kind of annoying in this one. Well, one of the ways I found it helpful to come to terms with this book was just by, since it was so allegorical, mm-hmm. just kind of reading it as a series of small little allegories or parables. Like each each island had its own little thing that happened. Its own little lesson, yeah. Its own little lesson. Somebody had to learn something at that island. You know, I actually like that. I actually think, I hate Lion, the Witch of the Wardrobe allegory. Yeah. It's the allegory, having small little lessons, even this is the repentance scene with Eustace. He yeah. stands for a sinner. Like, I did, that doesn't bother me half as much as the whole book being yes. written around because well the then what allegory. it allows you to do is which allow me to do which is compartmentalize each one yes and then say okay the ending stuff when they get to the lilies and all that is bad that's lewis kind of and it's just you know it's lewis doing his bad theology and mixing that with his storytelling 
But it's episodic, so who cares if one episode doesn't yeah. work? It's just like you're on to the next one. It's like his idolizing of the feeling of heaven over the reality of heaven mm-hmm. is almost what it seems like. Does that make sense? But he wasn't in the business of showing us the... Here, here's maybe... I know, but that's just but that's his whole career. Like, So is somebody going to get that out of this just by reading it without knowing who Lewis is? Maybe that's the real problem, is knowing, having read Surprised by Joy, having read The Great Divorce, having read all these other yeah. things, that in retrospect then kind of sours this. It might I, not be as sour without knowing those things. I agree. To be I quite honest. Yeah, I don't. And that's fine. Like, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I will let my kids read this and I will read it to them. And I don't think they'll be corrupted by it. No, I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to corrupt people. Mm. What I am saying is that I guess it's amazing how once you see his whole work, his whole life of work and thought, how mm. you see how that even then got into a kid's story. Not in a way that's dangerous, but it's there still. No, once you know what kind of a person Chris Evans is, you go back and it's harder to watch the old Captain America, you know, the the original yeah. Captain America performances because you're like, even when this guy felt sincere, he probably wasn't. Yeah, so there's a little bit of that. I understand that. And so the whole just last part just reminded me so much of The Great Divorce. Mm-hmm. And I know this is going to make a lot of people probably angry at me, but I think, I, mean, I think The Great Divorce is heresy. Oh, I hate it. I think it's terrible. I'll go on record with that. It's bad. It's just bad. It has some great little moments. The the grass cutting into their specter-like feet, I actually really like that. But even that, that's just Neoplatonism. Yeah, it is. But it's cool. <laughs> it's know. cool, yeah, but still. I like it as a poetic metaphor, I guess, yeah. uh, um, or something. I don't know. Anyways, we were talking about the car- the allegory, the small parables. Within, right. So. Well, whatever you want to say about the ending, I like most of the journey actually and i i should give my baggage i didn't like this book growing up i will give this to brandon's point i think part of the reason i didn't like it was because it did just feel eerie and weird and i found it creepy and not well there were a couple things that i found creepy the guy jumping into the lake like this poor guy that just i actually with lucy thought that was just too horrible to contemplate some dude strips off his clothes and dives in and turns to gold i remember that really bothering me for whatever reason i guess i was a sensitive kid it was a well done section yeah that's a that's that's one of my favorite islands yeah uh now that's pretty creepy and then i actually once they get to what's what's ramadan's real name ramadu ramandu ramandu i found that whole section to be weird as a kid i really didn't get it like suddenly caspian's in love with this girl which is something i couldn't relate to and there's the star guy it felt kind of mystical and out there and like most of the narnia books that i was used to ended with like a battle or a villain or you know, just something that boys like. This one going all transcendent at the end, I really didn't like as a kid. I liked it better. It just, it just was more enjoyable to me, you know, as a work of fiction now. Yeah, I agree. I thought the the islands were successful, the Dragon Island especially, with Eustace was yeah, good. It's a nice bit of allegory. He doesn't give Eustace the complete change that like an Edmund got. But he's still got to change. I had forgotten about that little paragraph where it says he doesn't change completely. I really like that. And he makes a point of that. Mm-hmm. And like he still was back to his old annoying self, like when he was playing chess with Reaper Cheap or something in the next chapter. Mm-hmm. And so he he stresses that the change is slow for Eustace, which but it's is, begun. Which is nice. The cure yeah. had started, I think is what he said. Yeah. And so. When Lewis sticks to human psychology, nobody does it better as far as I'm Well, and actually, as far as the psychology of repentance, that whole scene with Eustace is pretty strong. Mm -hmm. So he has to, he tries to take his own scales off, but he can't. Mm -hmm. And the only way is for Aslan to do it. And it almost feels like it pierces him to the heart. 
and it actually has pain to it. And then it's not an immediate change, but the cure has started. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody who's been saved knows that that's what it feels like, especially anyone who's grown up with the gospel, because it does feel like that. Like when you try to save yourself, it's like just trying to take your own skills off, but it's not happening. It's not working. Well, even down to the and fact something that something happens where the claw enters and it actually does and it hurts. Mm-hmm. Even down to the fact that Eustace thinks he does a pretty good job the first time, and then it. Yeah, which if that that scene made me pause, I was like, well, either Lewis was good at listening to people or Lewis knew something. Yeah, because he does he does that kind of stuff well in too many places for it just to be. Yeah, he got lucky or something. This sort of repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think he always does those scenes well. He does repentance and he does temptation. Well, yes, he does. Repentance and uh, hideous strength is one of the stronger parts of that. Mm-hmm. Mark's repentance. Yeah. I didn't get what he was going for with the gold island when Aslan appeared and made them all forget it or something like that. What was the allegory there? Or what, was the, what was the point of that? I guess that the draw of greed is so strong that they needed to be protected f- from it by being confused. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> How'd you guys like those duffel puds? They're pretty funny, I thought. They were. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> Are you taking this book too seriously, Jake? What are you thinking over there? You've been kind of quiet. Um, Maybe taking it too seriously. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, how do you think we should be approaching this book? People want to hear from Jake Menzel. <clears throat> I... Maybe like what you, might want to, what you might want to say is, get off your high horse, guys. It was just a fun book. Yeah, had some yeah. Yeah. All right, this conversation has really been annoying to me, completely obnoxious from the (laughs) get-go, starting at the very end of the book and trying to deconstruct a view of heaven from what is a simple quest book that has a bunch of little short episodic adventures in it, each of them with a little fun lesson that you may like or you may not like, but a lot of it being about risk and courage Mm -hmm. and guts and bravery and repentance and it's a lot of good stuff all through i just think it's a fun enjoyable kids book one of the best ones that there is one and of the best if, kids books that there is whoa shots fired yeah wow this and, this one in particular i mean well first of all i think the chronicles of narnia are among the best children's yes. literature yeah. that exists agreed and worth saying and i think that this is one of the more fun books in the, all of the series it's just a boy's adventure book a boy's adventure book that ends with a bunch of weird transcendent stuff that I didn't like as a boy. I loved it. You liked it. It was my favorite book as a kid. I liked the Mer the people. Book, I thought it was my favorite book as Including a kid. the ending. Yeah, including the ending. Okay. I thought the ending was really cool. Okay. Unexpected. So there's no bad guy. And maybe I was, I didn't think there needed to be. There was a bad guy around every corner. The bad guy was yourself. The bad guy was the, the instinct to turn away from adventure, to turn away from risk to turn away from doing something. And then there was Reepicheep always saying, no, let's do the hard thing. No, let's do the fun thing. No, let's do the scary thing. No. Like, what's the point of living if you're going to be a coward? Yeah. Like, come on, guys. Like, didn't we sign up for an adventure here? Like, Don't you think we should have, they should have sailed around Nightmare Alley or whatever? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I was there, if I was with Reepicheep on that one. I'm glad they rescued. Through the darkness. (laughs) Let's drive our car over the rickety bridge. Lucy agreed with Reepicheep. They wouldn't have found Lord Roop. Yeah, I guess it all worked out, but. It was, you know. That felt a little bit like the Sound of Sanity episode, The Coward's Climb to me. Like, let's just do something stupid because that's what we're supposed to do. Well, Reepicheep's point is that 
they decided to go on this quest. They had a particular goal and they couldn't turn away from something just because it was frightening. I get that, but their goal wasn't to travel through nightmare. But as far as they knew, one of the lords was in there. I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. And it turns out he was. I suppose it turns out he was. Reaper Chief was right. And, And the fact is they had had every evidence that the hand of providence was behind them along the way. And well, down to the hand of providence literally appearing to them and rearranging things and doing things. I mean, Aslan's appeared in the sky, so as an albatross. As a, that wasn't before the well, and nobody remembered that anyway, so nobody tried to kill it. Yeah, <laughs> the rhyme of the age, the albatross, yes. <laughs> the albatross was after they were in the dark, guys. They had like the searchlight, and then the albatross came down. Yeah, I also like the fact that they found where the sky ended. Yeah. Uh, I, I think all me, that stuff is super cool. It reminded I think, me of the Truman Show. <laughs> I think <laughs> that, is, I think that the let's have a a sort of ancient cosm a world that actually is in reality a medieval map, a medieval map. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that was super cool as a kid. And I still think that's super cool. I think let's have a world where these the serpents gonna randomly show up and the and to me as a kid, like all of these little scenes were way bigger than than they actually are in this book. Yeah, I agree with that. And But everything, you know, everything was from Eustace turning into a dragon to the yeah. pirates that they snooker, the whole island that they take back by pretending that they've got a fleet with them. The Every little adventure like that was just interesting. That whole idea of sailing off into a new world, what would it have been like? What would you have thought if you were columbus you know if you were headed out into who knows what what might you find well and what if you what found stuff that wasn't say? boring and stupid like you yeah. know they were the romance of all those old stories about columbus and ponce de leon and stuff is that they were searching for the fountain of youth and things like this yeah but all they Eldorado, found, you know they ended whatever. up finding stuff that is prosaic to our understanding now what's cool about this is, is like what if you actually had the great adventure that every boy what if you, dreams what if of? you found the body of water that had the Midas touch? What mm. if you found the... Yeah. What if you actually ran into the great sea serpent? What What if, you know... There's an untamed quality to it that's really cool. Like, you don't know what's what could happen. Anything could what happen. What if you found an island where there were mysterious and voices and, invis- and well-kept lawns and it looked like... What if you found a... I don't know. I, I like the idea of not knowing what... Having to make the decision of, man... We don't know that we don't really have enough food to make it back. I guess we're going to press on into the void, not knowing what we might find or if we're going to starve out here and die. Like all that stuff, like that was enough tension for me. I didn't need a bad guy. But the idea of just sailing off into the unknown to find what may come, knowing that you are also in the hands of a benevolent providence. Mm Mm-hmm. Lion King, a benevolent Lion King in this case, yeah. Mufasa. Mufasa. Yeah. You know, that that's cool. Like, I can, I don't know that I have the, the stomach or the guts to be that kind of risky unless I know that I'm in the hands of a benevolent mm-hmm. God. But I just, I loved that before and I loved it. I love it now. I think it's still cool. I still, I think it had the same kind of appeal for me that, Huck Finn had for me of getting on the raft and sailing down the river and not knowing where you're going to land or where what who you're going to run across and 
where you're going to be, but you're going to go away from where you are. You know, they had a quest that they were on. I don't know. I just, I think it's cool. Well, to be fair, I'm the only one who <clears throat> didn't read these when I was a little boy. True enough. I'm not really. Yeah, it's it's not, this is not said to disparage what you just said, Jake, but no, it, it's actually... it, is, it is impossible to escape from the imprint of, it just makes a difference, that's all. Yeah, well, I mean. Well, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to pretend like I'm, I wasn't going to always like this book no matter what because it was special to me mm-hmm. when I was nine right. or whatever. But like, I think a lot of people listening to us come to these books that way. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think they do. And, and I think that when you take it by itself or even in the whole context of the whole of the Chronicles of Narnia, it's nothing like what The Great Divorce is or what Till We Have Faces is in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so... No, I agree with that. And so I'm I bring that to this book and it's not fair. Yeah, I mean I will say Lewis is really interested in what's beyond the veil and that's all over this book. I, I don't think it's not. I mean Yeah, I think it is too. But I also think that like you were saying earlier, he drew the line and the and he never tried to tear the veil down. Right. What he did do is give you the idea that the closer you get the more you want it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. I think the closer you get to heaven, the more you want it. The closer you get to to Jesus, the more that you want to be with him. Well, and he even gave us a rebuke for being too interested. I mean, we have Caspian saying, well, that's I, I have yeah. to say a lot. I have to see Caspian what's... Caspian wants to, to know, wants to go, is prepared to leave everybody behind, and he gets the biggest straight-up rebuke of everyone. And the rebuke doesn't even, like most of the time the rebukes come from Aslan himself and it's sort of private. And he does get a private rebuke from Aslan after the whole crew takes him to the woodshed. Mm -hmm. Threatens to mutiny, yeah. Well, they say it's not mutiny. They're going to just tie him up because... (laughs) It's it's our duty to you as our king and to our people to tie you up. exactly what we do for Ulysses at the Sirens. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And and Reepicheep is like... He's the guy who's ready to to lead the charge. Caspian said Edmund suddenly and sternly, you can't do this. Most certainly, said Reepicheep, his majesty cannot. No, indeed, said Drinian. Can't, said Caspian sharply, looking for a moment, not unlike his uncle Moraz. And then Reinolf says, if one of us did the same thing, it'd be called deserting. Edmund says, you can't, you can't. Can't again, said Caspian. What do you mean? If it please your majesty, we mean shall not, said Reepicheep, with a very low bow. You're the king of Narnia. You break faith with all your subjects, and especially with Trumpkin if you do not return. You shall not please yourself with adventures as if you were a private person. And if your majesty will not hear reason, it will be the truest loyalty of every man on board to follow me in disarming and binding you till you come to your senses. It's <laughs> <laughs> <is> pretty cool. That's <laughs> yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. You shall not please yourself with adventures as if you were a private person is pretty deep wisdom about the nature of authority and responsibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, for all the cheesy or even wisdom that I don't agree with. There is a lot of wisdom here that is, like you said, deep wisdom. So, And just because occasionally you get flashes of what's bad doesn't mean you have to write the whole thing off. So, I understand Brandon's squeeziness in the larger context, and I understand it particularly because I liked this book, and I think it appealed to some things in me that are the same thing that H.P. Lovecraft does, that yeah. any, any any sort of fiction horror fiction supernatural fiction that promises to tell you what lies beyond the veil even if it's terrifying which i've always been attracted to and this time and i remember as a kid finding this book kind of creepy and i remember now 
and, and or I remember today reading it and finding that interest. And I'm not saying it was purient. I'm not saying the book's not good, but I want to sort of throw a bone to both of you guys. I want to say Jake's right. It's just a fun book. It doesn't cross the line. It's a good book. People can read this. No kid is going to be corrupted by this book. On the other hand, there is some of Lewis's creepy obsessions with what's beyond the veil in here. And it's what powers the book towards the end. And it was no doubt a big part of what also appealed to me as a kid. I loved that sort of thing. Yes. I loved Greek mythology. I Mm. loved all of it. Right. I wanted to know. I wanted to see beyond the veil. Yeah. That was a big part of the appeal, even at the end. So I'll give you guys that. But I think that that appeal exists in life. I think it is part of, I think there is, it is a small component of real worship. And I think we can make fun of a a longing that's having all that kind of stuff that we talk about. It's bad when it becomes an end in and of itself, but Liz is not wrong. And man, it corrupts so many people. And it does. That stuff really does. And, you know, I made fun of that stupid Shane and Shane song. Right. Lord, I want to yearn for you. I want to burn with passion over you. Like that's retarded. There's nothing, that's not, there's nothing biblical about that. It's just what? No, I'm sorry. I was was just going to pile on, but finish your point. No, yeah, I, deserves to be piled on. I that that kind of um I the idea that worship is at its highest expression point of expression when you're not exulting in the grace and mercy of God with gratitude, not exulting in his perfections but longing to expressing your longing and desire to do those things. That's that's pretty perverse actually. Yeah, right. You, you you see as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul thirsts pr- pants. So, so my soul, so my soul longs yeah. after yeah. after you. No, but it's not. Oh, if only my soul thirsted, I want my soul to thirst more mm-hmm. after the waters and to long more after. You. No, it's like David's in a place of feeling distant from God, right? And he wants that. He wants that unity with God, right? And that's what he's expressing there. It's not this sort of like, what's really great is when you feel that distance and have that longing. Exactly. What's great is not being hungry. What's great is being full. Right. And that's still not to say that even in being full, there's an acknowledgement that- There's a deeper hunger. There's a deeper hunger. There's a distance between us and Mm -hmm. God that will not be closed until the end of the age, until we're united with- with Christ. Right. Right. Well, I was going to say, and also it's important to remember that like we read at surprised by joy, Lewis acknowledges himself that this longing and stuff is not as important for his walk as a Christian after he became a Christian. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see this and fair enough. I started the argument by weighing things. I, it was like a duffel pod. Mm-hmm. I weighed everything really heavily towards one end of the ship. Duffel pod, I think. Duffel pod. <laughs> Thank you. But they become monopods. Don't yeah, they? by monopods, by by well, starting, they mix up their name, the duffers and monopods, and they become they the become double pods. Yeah, you're right. It was a bit unfair for me to immediately start our by hijacking Nathan's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Brandon, you've just been. Yeah, I ruined everything. You're so hot out you under did the ruin I think I think I proved that I just shouldn't uh, try to take over the hosting <laughs> yeah, responsibilities. There's, there's a reason that we have th- <laughs> yeah. things the way we go. See, we could have had a nice conversation <laughs> about how wonderful the journey was, the voyage. And then I could have said, yeah, but what about that ending once we came to the ending? Yeah, right. and then we could have had some acknowledgement that there's some weirdness about the ending. Yeah, so I had to sour so everything. Yeah. He soured it for me 
pretty much. I basically uh, gave everybody happy. my experience of the book. <laughs> but maybe this means that I should come to Lewis with more of an open mind and not have everything so soured immediately. Nah. Maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's what I've learned. <laughs> Look, Lewis did it. I blame Lewis for writing Till We Have Faces and The Great Divorce. Yeah. And all kinds of basically just being a pagan, all kinds of crazy Gnostic stuff. Yeah, I do think in the end, part of it may just like having when I was young and I tried to write poems or stories. Mm -hmm. One of the things I would do is like as a crutch, I would put in cheesy references to either literature or biblical allusions that I thought were clever Mm -hmm. because I thought it references to Midsummer Night's Dream as he, yeah. Like trying, yes. I thought that might elevate something mm-hmm. for me, and so then you have like the the sunberries that are like coals that are going on the tongue. That's a reference to Isaiah, right? right? And then you have at the end where literally when he's opening up the world so that they can go back, it's like a he was tearing a curtain. Mm-hmm. Well, right, and you're just like the sky, which yeah. is imagery from Isaiah. Yeah, and so you're just like, come on. Well, I think people should always remember with Brandon too is that Brandon loves Yates and has loved Yates and had to kind of repent of loving Yates. And Yates is nothing if not it's a mystic worse, in, in yeah. some of these ways, yeah. these exact same ways. And Much so worse than this. Brennan's sensitivities, Brennan is going to be on high alert for this kind of stuff. Yeah. And right, right, rightfully so, I think. Now, does that mean that if we had started, like a normal conversation would have, at the beginning, we would not have found some wonderful things and had a different conversation? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I can't stress enough that this is a fun book. And some of the journeys, like the Island of Darkness is fun. The dragon scene really is great. Dragon scene is just great allegory. I'm going to give it I just think it's super great allegory. I hate allegory, and that's great allegory. I I think it's it's the the best allegory allegory that you can, that you want your son to read so that you can use it with him, so that you can say to him. Oh, that's what I thought of, that that, that period of uh, life. Well, yeah. And, you know, Peter read this book. I, I went to a funeral, drove seven hours each way to and from a funeral and Peter read the book in the car on the way there and back. Yeah. We had a great talk about the book as he was reading it and also when it was done. But one of the one of the best things, like I really want, you know, you want your kid to have Edmund mm-hmm. so you can talk to him about Edmund mm-hmm. and how he's like Edmund and how he needs to not be like Edmund. You want your kid to have Eustace because Eustace is a nasty, know-it-all, complaining, lazy kid. And he becomes on the outside what he was on the inside. Mm-hmm. And the only one who can free him is is the godlike figure, yep. is God. And that's just a great metaphor. It's a great tool. It's a great thing to have. It's a great handle to have. As a dad, it's a great handle to have. As a kid who wants to be godly, it's a great handle to have. Mm-hmm. Most of these books have a handle or two that's like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's the bell in The Magician's Nephew. It's the Turkish Delight in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's the dragon in The Dawn Treader. I don't know what, if anything, is in Caspian quite like that. but I'm not sure Caspian really had one. But it's the stripes on the back of, uh, oh, what's her, Erebus. Erebus, yeah. Erebus and, and Bree, mm-hmm. both of them, in The Horse and His Boy. Yeah. Yeah. Those are just really great tools, handles, metaphors that stick with you and, or have the power rather to stick with you. Absolutely. If you you have the will. Yeah. And and that just comes from Lewis's, one of his strengths is that sort of image building. Mm -hmm. So like beyond simpler than that, like those are great for 
teaching, right? Yeah. But also, I mean, the lamppost and the fawn is those were in his mind, but they they stick in your imagination too. Here, yep. pretty much every one of these worlds, just looking through the chapter titles, the, the Dawn Treader as a ship stands out. Right. Absolutely. The f- picture, well, that's one of the coolest entrances into Narnia. The coolest, I'll yep. say. Man. Yeah. I like that he says, Lewis always hated movies, so I, <laughs> I like that he says, it was not like the cinema. Yeah. <laughs> just so you know, yeah. it's not like this contrivance that is ruining <laughs> civilization yeah. as we know it. <laughs> um, I... Yeah, we. my kids watched Willy Wonka in the mm. Chocolate Factory the other day. When you get to the Mike TV scene at the yeah, end. Yeah, all that stuffy stuff about how bad TV is. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. Yeah, 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 Anyways. yeah. There's a really funny, people can look it up on, you can Google it. Lewis had a, right in some one of his letters, he talks about seeing, I think it's a letter, he talks about seeing uh, Snow White, Walt Disney's Snow White, and he just thinks it, thought it was so stupid. He thought the dignity of the dwarves was totally ruined. Like they're made into bumbling idiots. Mr. Lewis, or Mr. Disney just has to have his, his slapstick. And Lewis is just like this grumpy old man and his <laughs> ch- shaking his cane at <laughs> Walt Disney. <laughs> I think he likes the witch, which he would. I think he thought Disney did the witch well, which I, I think I, I could see why Lewis would think that because Disney did do the witch well. But he does not like the dwarves. He was insulted by the lack of dignity that, Disney gave to those dwarves. Anyway, side point, but kind of makes you love Lewis. But like here, even yeah. at the small points, like when they go and they conquer, reconquer the city Narrowhead, mm-hmm. even that's great. I really love it. Yeah. I love that whole thing. I love the tactics of it. I love, I always loved the tactics As of it. As a kid, you could really enter into the, yeah. oh, they're, they're going to pull this off. This is cool. Like, yeah, they, they, they've got nothing but show. It's on a knife's edge. Yeah. But they're really smart. And they've got the advantage of being virtuous versus the advantage of going up against unrighteous men who are lazy cowards right. at the end of the day. And so they can just pull it off just by being Sending ballsy some enough. And walking in just like by they being, own the place. A- acting, yeah. yeah, on a pure bluff, acting like they own the place, keeping things moving fast, throwing some wine to the, to the guard to yeah, butter him up. That's a nice touch. Like, that was a super nice touch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're generous. Disciplining, oh, and I really love that they he disciplines them and then forgives them, like that was super smart. Disciplines which which ones? The soldiers. Yes. So he disciplines the soldiers. He's like, y'all are slovenly. I don't know what is going on here. If I wasn't on a diplomatic, if mission I wasn't here, on it, yeah, yeah, you y'all would be flogged. But you know what? This is a happy time. This is the first time I've been here. I have been. I intend to be happy. And so I forgive you all. And here's some wine for you. I know Don't you want to drink ev- my health. Yeah, <laughs> I know you want to drink my health. Never let me see you in such disarray ever again. Mm. <laughs> and since he's got that. Yeah, it's really nice. Well, it's it's the discipline, it's the gravity, and the generosity. They've missed out on all of it mm-hmm. under this guy. And boom, yeah. boom, boom. Man, so smart. Then they got the guy on his heels. And then boom, then you're relieved of your duties. Lord Burn, you're now in charge. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, like yeah. it just happens so quick. Everything about that, I, I, I remember loving it as a kid. Thinking it was super suave. So of course, I still love it. Yeah, it's well. I, I think it still holds up. It, it does not feel. You know, Nathan always likes to complain about we're setting up some people just to knock them down. It doesn't feel like that. It feels pretty organic. The, the bad guy feels realistically bad. He's, he's not like annoyingly bad. Just is not the bully that comes up in a Stephen King story just to knife you or beat you up so we can feel good about him getting yeah. his comeuppance later or Stranger Things, the bullies well, in that. It's it's just realistic bullies and realistic comeuppance. 
Yeah. And the other thing, lots of nice little touches all around. And another one of the nice touches is when I think Lord Byrne or whoever, maybe Caspian's the one who says it, but I think Lord Byrne says, you know, this is probably going to end up in a war. Like this is, you probably just started a war with Callerman here. Mm -hmm. We need to all know that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like you can't just stop the slave trade and not expect there to be huge repercussions. Huge repercussions. Mm -hmm. So just, just so we all know, this probably means war. I'm happy to be your guy here as the Lord Regent of this little island, but we're going to be on the forefront. We're going to be the tip of the spear of this war. It's going to, war is going to come here. Be ready, <laughs> right? you know, yep. to now fight a war with Kalerman and to support us. Right. When you get done with your quest, you better send an armada. <laughs> like, that's the kind of the subject. I just think, and I, and I don't know if this happens in the silver chair, but I expect it does. I can't quite remember. I know that Trumpkin is there and he's really old and that Rillian is Caspian's son, right? Or something like that. I believe he is, yeah. Yeah, it's been a it's while. It's like Caspian and Ramondu's daughter's son and he's enchanted by a witch or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't surprise me if if in some kind of aside or some kind of telling, Lewis gives us the history right. or a brief history of the epic war with Kallerman that ensued because of- Or we might hear of it in The Horse and His Boy. No, that, that no, be that would have been thousands of years before, Brand. Oh, Five thousand years before. Can't keep my chronology yeah. straight. No, you don't like Lewis? Why would you? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna make you into the bad guy. <laughs> <on this one. laughs> Thanks, Nathan. <laughs> it might come back in the last battle or something like yeah. that. Well, I will say this is the first book where I think I think in a previous episode I described Narnia as being like a Western town, you know, like in Blazing Saddles, where they suddenly pull back and we see that it's all just facades. This is the first time in all these books where it this world feels lived in and real and big and like there's things happening off screen. It's like, it doesn't feel like, oh, this another little island well, is contrived so we could have an adventure. You know, No, you're just exploring. Narnia feels new, big. New, it feels new, like there's a political system. It yeah. feels like there's re- rep- repercussions is how you like to say it. I say repercussions. 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 I, don't know, I said repercussions and then you said repercussions. I said repercussions. 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 I, th- I really think that's a lot. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Narnia feels cozy. To me, in Caspian, it starts to feel a little claustrophobic. In The Dawn Treader, it's a whole wide world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a big difference. Back to Silver Chair, it gets super claustrophobic. To my, to my, like, my vibe, like, the vibe I remember is it's super claustrophobic. I just hate that. Mm-hmm. I like the big, I like big wide worlds. I don't like claustrophobic little worlds. Well, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe feels extremely small reading it as an adult it's like they it travel five yeah. feet it from does. point a to point b and this world li- like literally they do yeah and like, this world literally the feel witch's like castle is 15 minutes from beaver's dam which is a day's march to the stone table which is where it all happens within a day's journey on foot it actually feels like a story that children would come up with. I wonder exactly. if he wasn't actually playing Thinking with the conceit way, more exactly. of like, it's their world, it's because a children's world. Because as a kid, it doesn't feel yeah. that small. Right. It feels pretty big. But it's like, it has that feeling of like, in Imagination Land, we have the three things that are important to it's, the story that we really as kids is, are experiencing. It really is, it's like the 100 acre wood. Yeah, 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 that's exactly, that's a good metaphor for what it is. But in here, it just feels like there's all kinds of stuff. If if Caspian and his friends had traveled to a different island, they would have found a different adventure because that's just yep. what this part of the world is like. The and, winds have been blowing a different direction. If a 
Yeah. And we hear about politics with the Calarmines. Is that how you say them? And I think so. stuff like that. Calarmines. Telmarines. Telmarines is Caspian's race. And he even he's able to bring in some Calarmin is the other the land that they're doing their slave trade with. Right. Yeah. That's right. I think it would be Calarmine. Who's yeah, who is the horse or the, the boy? The boy is a Calarmine. That's are, that world. It's like are they? the Aladdin world. Who are the Tash worshippers? Are they Calarmine? Maybe. I think yeah. the Tash worshippers are Yeah, Calarmine. and they're essentially Arabs. Right. Yeah. The yeah. others are the uh, the, uh, the Caspians the race, the Tash <laughs> no essential Marines or whatever they are. Uh what? Tash Marines or whoever the other ones are. Talmarines. Talmarines. Yeah. That, that's Caspian's race. And they're pirates. Yeah. So is the slaver dude like Pug or whatever his name is? Is he a Talmarine? Pug. I guess. Is it his name Pug? <laughs> yeah, his name is Pug. I, I think, think it is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's very Shakespearean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole section is very Shakespearean. It is very Shakespearean. And Lewis is able to bring in some of his tongue-in-cheek jibes at like um, bureaucracy with the the governor or whatever he is. Yep. Saying, well, the charts, the statistics. You'll have to make an appointment. Yeah. yeah. You can that's, tell that's Lucas, Lewis is the kind of guy that did yeah. not suffer the BMV. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you could just see every department chair that he hated. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, he's kind of settling some scores in that section <laughs> for sure. He had some Is that how you with... speak to your king? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a great section, and I'd forgotten all about it. But yeah, the book's full of that sort of stuff. What are, what are you guys' other favorite islands? I, I loved, I'd forgotten all about Nightmare Alley yeah, or whatever it's called. It, if, you could, if you could live on any of these islands. <laughs> if you could live on an island. Well, not Nightmare Alley. I'd live on um, Nightmare Island Alley. <laughs> My nightmare's not Well, what bad. a horrible, what a horrific conceit. I don't know if that comes from mythology or what, but the idea of all your worst dreams coming true. And of, yeah. the, of Lewis not being able to, that's well, a good horror story kind you know, of. Yeah. Like, what was just, appealing is this is where all your dreams come true. It's the island. And he's the like, you idiots. It's not daydreams. It's not your daydreams. Like, it's yeah. your actual dreams. Well, I'm sure. And then everybody has this moment where it's like, oh, whoosh, let's, every man runs to the oars. Everybody's like, let's get the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's Wiley Coyote blinking as the it's boulders exactly, rolling it's on him. It's very cartoonish. Boink, boink, and then they're just, whoosh. <laughs> yeah. It's the most Looney Tunes moment yeah. of the whole thing, in my opinion, is like oh, that moment where you've got this like breath and then everybody rushes. Yeah. And yeah. they all leave them shaped clouds. Yeah, where and they it, were. exactly. And <laughs> Reaper Chief's like the only one. He's like standing there. He's like Bugs Bunny, and everybody's mm-hmm. running around. And he's like, "This is mutiny." And Caspian's like, "Row, row, row, <laughs> 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 row for your lives." Well, and what's powerful? Great, great horror stuff always plays on your own fears, right? Who doesn't read that section and think of a immediately nightmare? Immediately think of their. Immediately think yeah. of oh, if that if I can't went to a world where that came true, then. Yeah. That'd be the worst thing ever. Well, and he gives you enough time to contemplate it because he bounces from spot to spot to spot. Like Lucy is thinking about a certain thing. He never tells you anything about what these are. Which would ruin the effect. Which would ruin the effect. Yeah. But he gives you enough time to show you, like, he gives you hints. Like, you know, the one guy says, they're crawling up the side. Right. (laughs) You know, another guy says, here's the gong. There's the gong. I knew it. (laughs) You know, like, just a little little things that like yeah just oh yeah would be i've had dreams that are terrifying yeah i i mean i flashed back mine mine was the grim i had a dream about the grim reaper when i was yeah. six or seven and he was after me and i was moving through molasses i couldn't run and he was gonna and it's, it sounds silly to recount it but we had it's terrifying right the church the church out. i grew up in yeah was a a large baptist church with lots of hallways and then it had a baptismal that you had to walk up these stairs on either side. So I'd always have this dream that I was in the church. The lights were out. 
and something like a shadow was pursuing mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And I would always end up in that baptismal. I had dreams about the quarters of the Baptist church. Yeah. And I had dreams about, I don't even want to talk about any of it. So not the nightmare. You wouldn't live there. No, that, would, that wouldn't be my favorite island. Whew. I'd live for that magician. It's Island of the Boggarts. The, the magician. Crossover. The magician right. would be kind of fun. <laughs> We'd have to deal with the duffel puds, but if you could have a good sense of humor about the duffel puds, that could be fun. If you could hang with a magician and get your favorite meal, like for every meal, I'd be you could just Yeah, whatever you the, wanted to eat for any hang meal. Hang out with Star-Lord and Star-Chick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just have that feast every night. Yeah. No, I wouldn't go to Star-Lord and Star-Chick. I hate their island. It's all dreary and poetical and important and portentous, and that's just not that's just not my a beautiful bag. song that ushers in the sunrise every morning. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to like take a experience at once. But it's high and yeah. shrill and sounds like the morning. <laughs> it's like the, it's like <laughs> that's what the morning sounds like. Yeah. Isn't it? That's, that's how that's it sounds. What it sounds like to me it too. Like, I'm not a morning person. So. Our, 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 our listeners are. <laughs> that's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> entering into a transcendent yeah. bliss right now. <laughs> uh, no, I hate Star Lord's Island. I would not live there. That that part to me as a kid always did feel dreary and high and mystic and poetic kind of like the lady of the lake and arthur it's like maybe, uh, let's get back to the beheadings guys come on maybe i would have a party barge with some close friends outside their island so every day we could go get some food yeah, i like the party, the barge. Back to the party outside barge. of the lone islands the magician's island is in the star island are the only safe islands you don't want to stay on the, i'm gonna go to that the uh, creepy island. pool island and uh make, make a little yourself make a little fortune and... yeah I bind all of you to secrecy and... That's creepy. That really... I I already said this, but that really freaked me out. They end up naming it Death Water. Just the idea of coming to a place that... That's another great thing that great horror does is take something completely innocuous and make it threatening. The idea that you could just dive into a pool. You could show up on a very... Like, they get there and it's just like... It's described as being very beautiful. Right. Mm -hmm. Almost unsettlingly beautiful. They start to go to one, like Drinian wants to go to the one stream. They go to another. They drink from the other stream, and then they hike around, and they're just lucky. And the idea that Edmund was standing in his toes, had his the boots had the boots yeah. had turned to gold is just really great. Yeah, like the, they were all that close to just for no reason whatsoever, no fault, no inner dragon like. No, it's just the arbitrary metaphorical. Just, yeah, it's just fickle fate. Like, this is an island. This guy wanted to do something completely reasonable, and now his corpse is lying at the bottom of this pool. It's loser. He showed up on a, he showed up on a beautiful island, thought he'd go for a little swim, and now he's dead and a golden statue at the bottom of the, uh, of a pool. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's really creepy. And it was as a kid. Like, I, this book was actually too potent for me as a kid in certain places, and that was one of them. I re- I I really liked the sea serpent too. I I was surprised by how short, how small yeah, yeah. that little section actually was. Yeah, but I always I definitely remember the the serpent ends up they end up pushing Reepicheep has the idea he only breaks off the prow or whatever. And then, you know, he thinks he's crushed the ship and he's like gleefully look and stupidly looking, you know, among the wreckage while the ship shoots but, off. Yeah, that's and, great. Well, there again, if you're J.K. Rowling, then Hermione or Longbottom or Harry or Ron, whoever's turn it is, does something awesome. But if you're C.S. Lewis and you're a little smarter and you want to be a little bit more relatable for the kids reading the book, 
Edmund does something awesome, and it also sucks and is useless and Eustace. pointless. Eustace, 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 sorry, Eustace. It's his moment of bravery. Yeah, and everybody talks about it, and, and it's a real could moment. really commends him for it. Yeah. yeah, and Lewis commends him for it, and we're supposed to understand it was great. On the, Also, it was retarded. He's not a warrior. He just broke Caspian's sword. He did nothing. Second best sword. Second yeah. best sword. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, and everybody's like, bravo, Eustace. You tried to do something. Yeah. You were stupid. You didn't know, but now you know. Well, and guess what? J.K. Rowling, a bunch of Kids are actually more able to relate to that than just doing something great, unless you're writing to a generation of entitled brats that just thinks everything they does they do is great, and you want to create a generation of entitled brats. So yeah, you write J. Harry K. Potter, Rowling. where it's like Harry accidentally did something, and it was awesome, just like everything that Harry accidentally did was awesome. Eustace took a baby step of bravery. It was a cheap pre- nothing. It was pretty foolish. It was a cheap nothing. He ended up breaking. Caspian's second best sword. But he was trying and everybody was ready to celebrate him trying as a moment of progress for him. Yay. Especially Yay, when Eustace. you track with Eustace in, uh, what's it, whatchamacallit, Silver Chair actually being pretty awesome and then being awesome on through the series. It's like, it's nice that he didn't have to achieve it all at once. Baby steps of faith yeah. is, is, is really cool. He has a couple moments like that. Uh, let's see, we talked about all the islands. Yeah. Magician's Island is cool. I don't want to, the Duffel Puds are funny. The Magician's Book is cool. Yeah. The Magician's Book is really cool. I don't, I will say one of the, the, that story that Lucy can't remember, that is Lewis just up to his old longing that can't be having tricks that. Yeah, it I, is. I thought that part was pretty. But nice. the other parts are pretty cool. But what, what I liked about it was that you didn't know if the book was, you know, in these kinds of scenarios, the book had, tends to have a personality, right? Right. And the book is either evil or the book is good. And you actually don't know. And he maintains that you don't know if this book is evil or if it's good for a good while. And that moment is the first moment where you suspect that the book is good because that story comes right after she's done the spell where she overhears her friends talking about her. And it sort of helps her forget about it. Right. And move on. Oh, I like that Aslan's like, yeah, you messed up and you'll probably never It's going to ruin your friendship. Yep. Sorry. I do like that too. That's probably the best Aslan moment or one of the best in this. One of the, one of the less uh, high and mighty Riddler Aslan moments. Yeah. And more wisdom from C.S. Lewis. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. who hasn't ruined a friendship because of some stupid anxiety or. In, I mean, I think the wisdom of you don't want to know what people say behind your back. You don't want to know what your friends say behind your back. Yeah. Is. I really don't. It's generally good. Like. No. You know, he just said, look, she was afraid. Yeah. You know, she wanted to and appease this other stupid girl. Th- appease this other person. And she said things that she didn't mean. And people do that all the time. Now you can't unhear it. And that's actually on you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. That's some good. Like every, some, every high schooler should read that section. Every and, junior higher. Every junior higher. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a really hard lesson for anybody at any age to learn, let's be honest, and to really trust and believe. But man, if you think about all the times that you say things about people. That you wish you didn't, yeah. Or or you say them. But it's, it's motivated by something entirely outside of the person, whatever it is. And it, yeah, and it doesn't have anything to do at the end of the day with your love or admiration or even ultimately your respect for them. Yeah, right. But- 
Like when I say Brandon's fat, it's like, it's because I don't like him. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And because I have my blog that says all those things about Nathan, I don't mean most of them. <laughs> <laughs> like 90% of the things on this blog that I'm hearing about for the first time, I guess, are lie. <laughs> You'll never find it. <laughs> um, I really like Lucy. I think, I think she's a really difficult character to pull off because she is like just the earnest angel child, lovable kid. He does it well. And she, he does it really well. She doesn't yeah. feel cloying. I don't yeah. know exactly what the difference is between Lucy oh. and like your Pollyannas and your- She has faults. That's how. Yeah. I mean, well, I think that's it. The passage Jake was just telling us about. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a pretty endearing passage for Lucy. The well, fact that she everything struggles. About, first of all, she has the, she's really, really enchanted by this beauty spell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she does the thing, man, how many times have you done this? You have- by God's grace, you overcome a big temptation. Oh, you've every over, day. By God's grace, you've overcome a big into, All the a big time. temptation. And then you suddenly have to gobble up the small temptation right away because you're entitled to it and you're just going to do it and you don't want your stupid conscience to get in the way of something, yeah. of of some pleasure. like the, is right Oh, now. and like, it's just that crass. It's like, well, I didn't look at pornography, so I'm going to be a glutton. Yeah. Right. I mean, you actually tell yourself that. Yeah. Basically. yeah. I, said no, I said no to porn, so really quickly, before I can even think about it, I'm, this Jack's Pizza is already going to be in the oven. <laughs> like, right. okay. I said no to porn, and so hello, alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Come Oops, I accidentally... <laughs> You know, pour too much. Well, I better drink that quick before my conscience tells me not to. Oh, yeah. man. Nobody understands <laughs> how the lies we tell ourselves when we want to commit a sin better than Lewis. It's what's great about screw tape. It's what's great about a lot of Narnia. Lucy having moments like that is what makes Lucy a real person. Yeah. Well, and even just the fact that like in that chunk in Prince Caspian, she doesn't not, she doesn't say, I told you so. She also doesn't not say I told you she, so. She kind of does say I told you so. She just, she yeah. reads as like, a, she's a really sweet kid. She's the kind she of tries. kid that you would just love in real life, but she's not perfect. She's just a real kid. Yeah, she's not a yeah. Dickensian angel. Right. Yeah. She does have flaws and she does. She feels she the pain a, of Susan a... being the preferred one in a way that's not. Yeah. Although not... Uh, I disagree with your casting thing that you said the other day. I don't think that Lucy, I think that uh, to me, it's always been Ginger and Marianne. Like that you would actually like Lucy. Yeah. I think you're giving yourself a lot of credit. <laughs> <laughs> you think that you would like Lucy? Well, to-, what? to, to <laughs> he's, he's saying that Susan is- Is, uh, is Ginger. I, obviously, if people don't understand this because they, they're dumb and don't live in the world, every person that's ever watched Gilligan's Island knows that even though Ginger was the sexy movie star, we all, and I've never talked to a man that doesn't agree with this- Prefer Marianne, who's the wholesome girl next door. Yeah. Yeah. And to, and so I've never read that. It was a surprise to me the, the other day when you said Lucy in the movie Lucy's is homely. Is homely. She's ugly. And that's good because that's the way she is in the book because Susan's the pretty one. And I've just never, never thought that. Well, it's interesting. I've always Lewis thought says... it's Ginger and Marianne and, and Susan having the benefit of being the oldest and. Everything that comes along with well, and what, what old Clive Staples says is she was the kind of girl that adults considered to be pretty, which I don't know exactly what that means, but that tells you a lot about uh, who Susan was. I mean, that's what he says about right. Susan. So she's got that quality, whatever it is, that people tend to accept as prettiness, whether it's actually real prettiness. I guess in Susan's case, we find out that it's not, yeah, uh, which is interesting. Oh, because she goes to hell. She goes to hell, yeah. <laughs> basically. 
I don't know that Lucy was homely. I don't remember what context I said that in, but the context that, that I... You were just talking about how you liked the, that old series and how they cast a homely girl. Well, I do think that they cast her too pretty in the Disney movie. There's no discernible I, I difference actually, between her and I don't Susan. Think, I actually... I don't remember. Sure I it's been a long that. time. I agree. I'm with you. Yeah. I, I remember actually feeling... It's been a long time since I saw those movies, but I remember sort of being let down by Lucy should be cuter. I think that's just your uh, appearance-ism. Probably is. I think Lucy could just be a normal, chunky kid kind of person. It's possible. There's a difference between cute and pretty, right? There is, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's the difference between Ginger and Marianne, and I think that's the difference between Susan and Lucy. Yeah. That's Lucy. Yeah, it's that's cute. fine, yeah. She's but just... She's just normal. Kind of normal, yeah. cute. Yeah. I th- I thought that was a little under cute. Under actually. cute for Lucy. Well, I'm going to make you guys watch one of those BBC things. I think you might actually like them. Really? Yeah. I mean, they're pretty cheesy with terrible special effects, but they do a good job with the performances, at least as I remember. All right. Everybody's looking up pictures of Lucy. We've been having this conversation for a while now. Oh, yeah. This is going to be a long episode. All right. We're not here to talk about the movies, guys. What else do you want to say about this? I said everything I want to say, Nathan. Brandon hates it. He uh, thinks it's blasphemy. Yeah, yes. Jake thinks it's just Huck Finn with dragons. All right, you guys ready for the predictions that we made? Yeah. I said I would like it, even though I didn't like it when I was a kid, so I was correct. Yeah, sweet. Brandon said he'd like it, but it would be his fourth favorite. Brandon, would you consider this this blasphemous piece of filth to be your fourth (laughs) favorite Narnia book? What does that mean, my fourth favorite? I don't know. You ranked them all, remember? So what would have to be beneath this? Prince Caspian was number six, so this is worse. This is better than Prince Caspian. Nope, sorry. Okay, so you were wrong. Your ranking was yeah. incorrect. So do you think this is better than Caspian? No, I think Prince Caspian was better. Okay, so, okay, and I'm not sure what fives and six were. You said that the horse and his boy would be your favorite. Uh, Magician's number would be your second. Jake, you said might still be the best. And I think we'll find out whether you think this is the best when I ask you guys to award, or do you want to just say yeah, it? Yeah, I, um, I don't think that, I don't think that this is going to get the best. I don't think it can because I think it's, it's too... It's not as good of a book. It's just too off-brand, I think. like The best one, to me, has to happen... Well, maybe not because it might be The Horse and His Boy. But it I feels think like The Horse and His Boy might be the best. If you're going to sail away from Narnia and away from all the quote-unquote important stuff, I just I don't know that that can be the best. Well, no. to me... This is low stakes. The The mission is let's find some dudes. It, but it's not that low stakes because the king is going off on a voyage that he may never come back. Yeah, but I never really seriously bought that. If it was like, we got to find the dudes or the green mist will devour us all, then that'd be even Apparently better. Apparently I had to gather all the seven swords. And so the final scene is them, is Edmund trying to get the final sword to the table. They had to put them all on the table at this this is from the movie. Yeah, they had to put them all on the table at Lord Star Lords at Star Lords Island, mm-hmm. and what? if they got all the seven swords of these seven lords, they would defeat the white the green mist. And as Edmund's trying to get the last sword on the table, the white mist shows her true form. The green mist, the white witch, and it's the white witch. Oh my goodness! Oh, well, you see, that's that's why I'm an idiot for saying this book is low stakes because I'm thinking exactly like a Hollywood executive who said hey, this yeah. book is low stakes. So we need a villain. We need a villain. Let's, Let's bring, bring back, back the, the white, white witch. witch. Make yeah. it the mist. Yeah, the and mist. Then, and then the green Empire mist. Strikes Back never gets made. Yep, yeah, you're right. You're right. 
you know, listen to our Empire Strikes Back book for, for and that. And the sea serpent is there trying to fight on behalf of the White Witch, apparently. Cool. This sounds rad. Caspian, so then after that's finished, they have a quick trip to the end of the world mm-hmm. where Caspian decides he won't go back because he's the king. He won't go forward because he's the king. He doesn't have to be convinced. Okay. Oh, come on. There is no lamb, so I guess there's that improvement. All right, that's good. <laughs> the movie's great. <laughs> oh, can we say before we quit, Reaper Cheap, what a character. Yeah. He's great. awesome. Love I love Reaper him. Yep. I'm with Lucy. I wish I could tug him and just cuddle him. That's sweet that she gets <laughs> he's to cuddle just him great. at the end. He's, yeah. he's pretty fantastic. But it would be pretty embarrassing to be spanked by a mouse, I will say, on Eustace. <laughs> <laughs> a two-foot tall flat of a sword. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that, was, that was unfortunate. But but you should not grab he deserved it. a warrior mouse by his tail. And yeah. Swing him around. Him around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what you get. That's a fun little section. Okay. All right, Brandon? Yeah. How many lampposts out of seven do you give this book? Nathan. I should have been keeping track. I meant to write Five? it down. I think we said, let me let me write this down for all of us. We did said six and five. We were all in oh. the six and five range for the first two. I mean, it's not that. I think you guys both gave Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe six. Yeah. And, and then, ma- and you, then you Caspian gave five. five. Or five and a half. I, I gave five and a half to Caspian. I don't know that you guys were aware that halves were a So I think thing I until... give five and a half to Caspian. Okay. Five to this one. So this is worse than Caspian. This is the worst one we've read so yeah, far. Yeah, but not bad. It's still fun. Okay. Yeah, five lampposts ain't nothing. Yeah. You're not giving it zero lampposts. I don't. I think Caspian I enjoyed more, mm-hmm. but I'm willing to admit that might just be because I'm a C.S. Lewis truther. <laughs> right. Well, you know, that's fine. Um, lamp, lampposts are your own. You know, we all have our yeah. own lampposts that we give. So you get give... a man writes a book about his great philosophy of life, and I see it in everything he writes. Yeah. Well, I think that's <laughs> fair. As <laughs> You, the point you were there, ironically making. Jake, how many lampposts? Is this a seven lamp poster for you? It's kind of sounded I'm like tempting. A... I'm tempting. I'm tempted. But but I think would... that I think that if I is this, uh, I is this I the ceiling it, on Narnia? I mean, I think it... if I gave it seven, I it would be out of spite for the for you guys. And so I'm <laughs> going to give it. it. I'm going to give it six. Six. You could go yeah. six and a half if you want. I I know. I'm aware. Six and a quarter. Six. I'm going to give you it six. Do, can he do quarters? He can do whatever he wants. I'm giving it six. You're giving it six lamp posts now. May I, may I ask what keeps it from being a seven lamp poster, given how much you love it? It is low stakes, and and it, it just doesn't have. It's got you know good metaphors and good lessons. It doesn't have some of the same gems that some of the other books have. Yeah, it's not, the strongest material here isn't as strong as the strongest material in other books. Yeah, uh, yeah. although that dragon, dragon allegory is pretty great. Yeah, I almost wish I could give lamp posts to each episode of this book because I think that they might wildly diverge. They would, but that's part of... That's part of the charm. The charm. And, you know, what you get in Don Treaders, you get seven different little, or however many little episodes. Vignettes. Vignettes, short stories, each with their own little thing. And that's what's unique and fun about it. And it's it ends up being a weakness, too. So Yeah. yeah I wouldn't change it. I mean, especially since there's seven books. The, the fact right. that this one goes off the beaten path... Is cool, you know. If you want like a hero's journey style adventure with a big villain, you're gonna get one in the very next book. So yeah. I'm gonna. This is tough, man. Ah, Brandon, how many lampposts did you give? Five, and Jake gave six. Yeah. Am I gonna go five point five again? Hmm. I think it's equivalent put it on to a level the... to Caspian. No, Caspian's generally not considered to be one of the better ones. No, but Caspian really, I liked it. 
it was just a fun book. But I actually enjoyed this one more than Caspian. I'm I don't think I've broken six yet, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, but, but I'm gonna I'm gonna actually give this one six. As as an adult reading Whoa. these books, I enjoyed this book wow more than certainly than Lion it's the Witch more in the fun. Wardrobe. It's the more it's the most fun of the three books. This is the most sure. fun I've had. And so I, I don't know if I, I don't think that you're solitaire. gonna I don't think when it's straight up fun, I don't think you're gonna find it's equal until you hit the horse and its boy. I don't think the silver chair is going to be fun. I think the silver chair will be satisfying in other ways, but I don't think it'll be fun. I'll be interested. That was always my favorite as a kid. We'll see. We'll see what it, I like this time. It was my least favorite as a kid, and I'm standing by it. Whoa! Sounds like we have some more fun conversations coming up, gentlemen. Yep. Maybe Jake will spend an hour rotten, griping, griping and and all over. Like, I just like it. It's good. Uh, <laughs> come on, get off your high horse. Get off your high horse. But okay, I, I think my lamppost, as I've said, are very subjective. This is just my experience of reading the books. And this was a six lamp poster. I agree with Brandon. When it comes to philosophy, this one's not cracking a five. It might even be a four based on some of the stuff that I am uncomfortable with. But in terms of entertainment value, this is a six lamp post book. What can I say? There you go. Um, and in the end, it's that Hollywood producer in you that matters the most. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Brandon, thanks for listening. Hey, anytime, Nathan. Jake, thanks for listening. Glad to just be here and listen to you guys sound smart. Yep. Patreon.com <laughs> <laughs> forward slash Sound is the important word. Sound is the important word. We're really dumb. 